The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may be triggering and don't necessarily reflect the views of myself or Blue Matter Project. Please note that I'm not a licensed therapist or a doctor, and all opinions of our guests are for informational purposes and should not be considered medical advice. For any questions about your own health, please consult a medical professional. Everyone, this is Elaine Clark. Welcome to another episode of the Mindful Matters podcast. My guest today is Dr. Karen Katchen. Karen is a registered clinical and counseling psychologist and has maintained an independent practice for over 35 years. She works with senior executives and startup teams to build awareness around and strengthen their emotional intelligence. She draws on a variety of assessment strategies like EQI 2.0 for emotional intelligence, EMDR for trauma, hypnosis, CBT, and behavioral therapies. And she has developed and chaired one of the first studies in Canada to explore community needs and resources for childhood sexual abuse. She brings a wealth of experience, wisdom, and knowledge to this conversation. And I'm so thrilled to welcome her here uh, on the show today as a guest, where we do a deep dive into the topic of emotional intelligence. Dr. Karen Katchen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elaine. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I appreciate your very generous introduction. Thank you. Well, you're so welcome. And, you know, I thought I would set the tone for our listeners. Uh, I'll give them, you know, giving them a bit of a, a context that you and I, we met in the Founder Institute, which is a global pre seed startup accelerator. Right. We're both recent graduates, uh, and I remember chatting with you for the first time and feeling so inspired by the way that you just keep reinventing yourself, taking on new ventures, new projects. You're the co-founder of XR Mind Boost. You're working with senior exec executives, and you're just constantly evolving and serving, and it's truly so admirable. So thank you so much for being here with us on the show today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Something I, I've been thinking a lot about, and I thought that we could begin our conversation with today, is that there seems to be a common belief that how well we do in school is how well we do in life. I'm so curious because you not only have decades of education and experience, but you're also a mother to three very successful leaders and entrepreneurs. How important have you seen emotional intelligence to be both personally and professionally? I'm so glad you're asking that question. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, Elaine. Uh, people presume that if you're really intellectually smart, you've got it made. Whereas the best predictor of success in life in a variety of different dimensions, and even success at work is emotional intelligence. And we can understand that. Um, IQ is fixed. It's what we're given with at birth. Um, and individuals' intellectual, analytic, logical, rational abilities um, are, are fixed. The only way that they can change is going down, decreasing. Uh, that's pretty abysmal. Um, and they can decrease with age, injury, um, and uh, just the passage of time. That's abilities. 
We're now talking emotional intelligence, which is skill-based. That's very optimistic. In fact, we're able to change our emotional intelligence all the way through life and in every different aspect. What does it take? It takes knowledge of what we are and who we are, how to do it, practice like any skill, and feedback, feedback from the environment so that we adjust and continually improve. And emotional intelligence is truly a predictor of job success, retention of your employees, um, success in life, satisfaction in life, a good predictor of, of successful, mutually satisfying relationships. So that's that's the one that's important to me. Professionally, um, I am so glad that we're now able to teach and measure it and help people improve in very um, discernible ways. As a parent, um, I guess the dream I always had was to have our kids be as capable in life as they could be by really being aware of themselves, their impact on others, and really being open and flexible to the information from their environment it was really important to me. They'd be socially um, relevant. And uh, when I say that, I mean responsible. So that volunteerism was a very important aspect. And it's interesting. That's one of the major components of emotional intelligence is uh, that sense of social responsibility and community. So EQ is made up of today, we know this, 15 components in five different areas. And they include an awareness of self, self-expression, decision-making, interpersonal areas, and certainly the, uh, the ability to um, take risks, handle, uh, your impulses, and and really derive um, lots of information from the environment that you can put to use to make your best decisions. And it's based on emotional awareness. Um, I'm going to stop there and ask if you have any questions about the role of emotions and problem solving or emotions and how we make decisions. Well, it's really interesting because I, I was listening to an interview recently with Dr. Daniel Goldman, who's the author of Emotional Intelligence. And he was saying that if we look at children between the ages four to eight years old and measure their ability for mindfulness and then follow up with them in their 30s, it predicts their financial success and health better than their IQ or the wealth of the family uh, that they grew up in. So I thought this was really interesting. And I, I'd love if, do you have anything to add to that? Like, I'd love if you can speak to that from your own experiences. Well, there's another aspect to, um, to that. And it's called the marshmallow test. You may have heard of it. So young children were given the opportunity to eat one marshmallow while the experimenter went out of the room. They were told that if they waited until the experimenter returned, they could have two. The children that waited 
were followed for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Those children were the most successful. The children that ate the marshmallow immediately obviously had difficulty with delay of gratification. And we talk about it today in emotional intelligence as impulse control. And it figures very prominently in how we make decisions. If we rush to conclusions and don't take account of our feelings and all the information in the emotional as well as the physical environment, we're likely not to make the very best decisions that we can. So I thought that was kind of an interesting um, sequela to uh, to Goldman's uh, original experiment. Yeah. And I, I, I've actually heard of that before. And I remember the first time hearing about it, I was fascinated with that concept and that, that study actually, um, how malleable is emotional intelligence? Is this something that we can learn over time? Is this something that, uh, is challenging to learn in later years? What is your perspective on this? First of all, I regret that we are not teaching kids in primary school the rudiments of emotional intelligence. A little bit is being done now to build stress tolerance and resilience, but in terms of the the whole composite, uh, we're not doing enough. I regret it because um, unless you can see what you can be, it's pretty hard to be that person. Um, So I think that's a regret that I have, but we're aiming to change that. In the community, we're trying to build more resilience. So I wanted to share with you a study that was done really recently. And why it's important is it really speaks to how we can change our skill level. Um, This study was done right here in Toronto at our YWCA. It was a study that uh, included people in the age group of 18 to 50, and they were given, um, this group, by the way, were known as chronically unemployed. So the objective was to train uh, for six weeks aspects of emotional intelligence and see what the impact was. 50% of this group was given the opportunity for training. And of those people trained, imagine this, 90% were able to find work immediately after the training and sustained it. The elements that were really important, they learned to be more assertive, they learned to be better at reality testing, and they, they were better in in terms of their problem solving. So these are some of the specific components that comprise the global idea of emotional intelligence. I thought that was pretty important. Yeah. Another aspect of, of emotional intelligence that we know today is that it is not culture bound. Many studies over more than, um, 7,000 people and 40 uh, languages and countries and cultures have demonstrated that this is enduring, that people respond in similar ways with a little bit of cultural variation. But generally, the 15 components hold up. 
the higher the emotional intelligence, the better the performance, the better satisfaction in life, and the more success in their in their uh, personal and social relationships. It's kind of um, gratifying to realize that if you have intention, knowledge, information, the opportunity for feedback and practice, that you too can raise any of the elements in your emotional intelligence over any part of your lifetime. Wow. That's so interesting. I think the research is certainly becoming clear that, you know, IQ or our academic abilities, our our cognitive brilliance is not what matters most. So it certainly gets us into the game, but it's our EQ, which really sort of carries us through and far. Uh, What are some key steps to improve our emotional intelligence? Like how can we begin to get good at EQ? Well, I think there are a couple of ways to look at that question. First of all, I think we have to inform ourselves. We have to understand, and if we, for example, take one area, that's interpersonal area, that has different components. And it involves our relationships, it involves how we express ourselves emotionally and the impact of that. So if we just zero in on one element, communication skills, for example, and we decide that we are wanting to be much better listeners. Well, of course, this is tied into our notion of empathy or the, our ability to be able to be aware of, understand, and appreciate the feelings and thoughts of others and to tune in to what they are thinking and how and why they might feel the way they do. This empathy itself is an essential component of uh, emotional intelligence. And it's actually a bridge between our personal and our social environments. So I like to start with the idea of communication. So listening and understanding, rather than for content, for feeling and content and where the person might be coming from. That's really critical. If we're able to do that, we're then able to add another piece Can we ask for feedback about the accuracy of our understanding? We take a bit of a risk when we do that, because what if we didn't hear it correctly? Mm -hmm. So risk-taking is part of being able to be open and increasing your your awareness and openness, receptivity to, um, to learning. I think it's really important to be intentional about practice, whether we're talking about yoga, mindfulness, any stress reduction toolkits, you have to practice or they're not effective. And practice comes with learning and change and openness to trying new habits. So the idea of starting with something that is manageable, like communication, can occur in your daily life. And you can create as many opportunities to practice as you desire doesn't have to be in the workplace. It can be at home. It can be even you recording yourself and playing it back and listening for how well does your voice tone match what you're trying to say? Do your facial features reflect what you're feeling inside? Do they match? Is there an element of consistency and predictability? 
because those are elements that create trust for people in our social interactions and relationships. So that's where I would start. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you brought up relationships. Uh, Just this morning, actually, I I came across a a post by the Gottman Institute. Mm -hmm. And what they were saying is that after observing thousands of couples, uh, they, they noticed that the couples weren't fighting about finances or parenting or intimacy or, you know, difficult situations, what they were actually fighting about was a failure to emotionally connect. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, but what, what are the barriers towards those, that emotional connection? Um, sometimes I think we get lost in how we need to be right or correct. And I think that really is an obstacle to active and intensive listening. It's not about the accuracy of, of your opinion. It is really about the accuracy of reflecting what it is you heard. It's about the openness to entertaining others' point of view and not just their opinion, but their emotional expression that surrounds that. And that's the kind of thing that builds trust, it builds culture, it builds a common sense of purpose. If you feel understood, you want to engage. It's an invitation to go further. So that can be in relationships, it can be in families, and it can be in the workplace. If you feel understood and that people around you have the same set of values, there's a sense of unity and a community of spirit that really enhances productivity, satisfaction, comfort, psychological safety. You know that you're going to be uh, respected and considered and not uh, shamed or put down. Those are antithetical to um, empathy. Can you talk to us about the various types of empathy and the parts of the brain that are involved? Um, I can talk to you about it on a general level, and I think that might be helpful. Um, If you think about empathy as a bridge between our personal and social environments, you can begin to imagine that, in fact, emotional content um, is involved in absolutely every decision we make, because what happens is as we as we um, as we think about um, our interaction, um, what what takes place is everything that we see, feel, and do goes through a process and a neurochemical process in the brain, passing through the emotional centers. And those would be the limbic system, the amygdala, and the uh, hippocampus. And studies have shown us that if there is damage to any one of those emotional parts of the brain, that we are not capable of even implementing simple decision-making tasks. Mm -hmm. So if we take that out of the context of the lab, we can look at the fact that 
our emotions are involved in absolutely every kind of decision that we make because as the journey of information proceeds from our sensors through the emotional centers up to the neocortex, which is where we analyze, integrate, um, logic things out, um, we depend on the information from the emotional centers as a vital part of considering the decision-making or the outcome of our, of our information. So, you know, I've had many conversations with uh, people in the tech sector because that's who I work with primarily these days, uh, from engineers to CEOs. And I like to let them know that there is no such thing as soft skills anymore. These are fundamental basic skills. And if you don't take your human to work, you're not capable of making the very best decisions that you can. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to discover when engineers themselves are um, exposed to emotional intelligence training. We find that as a group, um, they're very all very good in reality testing, which is one of the fundamentals, but there are other characteristics that actually distinguish high-performing engineers from lower-performing engineers. And of course, they are the elements of emotional intelligence. Too many yeah. to list right now, but they can yeah. be distinguished even for engineers. So hopefully that's that uh, convinces some of the skeptics out there. Yeah, so interesting. Well, where this becomes interesting for me is when we look at success as a leader and in entrepreneurship, the most successful leaders and executives have high psychological safety and empathy. How do empathetic leaders boost productivity and happiness in the workplace? Like, how, what, what can you say about this? Well, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious that um, that leaders that are really focused on being able to understand um, and and anticipate um, and listen to people that they're working with can create a sense of community and unity of purpose. They create a culture that is very receptive to uh, hacking. Uh, in the in the best way to new ideas to curiosity and innovation so the productivity um, um, metrics just absolutely are opened uh, right at the place of of receiving um, the kind of, of uh, validation of culture um, respect diversity inclusion um, acceptance of alternate points of view, group problem solving, and really the lack of judgment that comes with empathy that is not sympathetic. It's not about I, it's about you. And it's interesting if you can just um, think about how many times you yourself might use the word I, me, or myself in a conversation. Um, it's quite indicative of whether your ears are tuned to another person or to yourself. So I'll just put that little hint in there. Mm. And the best leaders 
are the ones whose emotional intelligence, including their capacity for empathic um, interaction, boosts the kind of relationships that are in the workplace. They are able to balance work and life. I actually call it work-life flow. They're able to set really good priorities and they model what they're doing. So they actually walk the talk. And if you can see it, here we are. You can do it. Um, I would recommend a really good book by Erica Keswin called Take Your Human to Work. And it's really about how you can be human um, in the workplace and how that is so aligned with satisfaction, retention, um, uh, productivity, and um, uh, all kinds of profit metrics. And we're, we're really um, very lucky now that we have a lot of data to support the, the place and the importance of EQ in the return on investment in the workplace, because it will help us begin to establish a community that is more resilient, more humane, more giving, more socially responsible, uh, more emotionally intelligent, and not just economically productive. And I, for one, am personally very invested in helping to create that kind of a community that really benefits all of us. Yep. So well said. Thank you so much. Dr. Karen Ketchin, I, you know, I think this is a, a fascinating topic and I feel like we have just scratched the surface. For any of our listeners uh, who would like to maybe dive deeper or connect with you about this, what is the best way that they can uh, contact you? Um, if you'll indulge me, there's a couple of ways. One is to reach out to me on um, uh, my website um, or through my um, email, kcatchen at rogers.com, and I will respond. Um, another way, um, and please stay tuned for this, is we're trying to, through XR Mind Boost, we're trying to make um, EQ training and coaching available not just to CEOs and top managers. We're trying to bring this to employees and companies. So be your best salesperson within your company and start advocating for um, EQ training and coaching within your company. It really pays off. So we're trying to bring that at lower cost to more people more of the time. Stay tuned for that. We'll also be doing some webinars that introduce and, and give hints to uh, how you can start loading your increase EQ. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about the work that you're doing with XR Mind Boost. Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us on the show. I, I loved having this chat with you. Elaine, my absolute pleasure. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope you'll join us next time. Mindful Matters is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Special thanks to Karen Zorzi, our editor, Tawny Stoiber for the artwork, and our theme music by Bellwoods. If you can, please leave us a review. It helps others discover the show, and we really appreciate it. Let's keep these conversations going over at Blue Matter Project. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Standing,